Amen. Well, that was an exciting game last night. Uh, any Ohio State fans? Yeah. Uh, your Ohio State Buckeyes prevailed against the luck of the Irish. Uh, the but yeah, woohoo, yay. Uh, you Buckeye fans, glad your football program isn't like the Michigan State's. Uh, but the Buckeyes had overcome adversity when they were down by four with less than two minutes left. Uh, they could have thrown the towel in and given up much like some would, would maybe uh, hope for, uh, but they, they didn't. Uh, they did not give up, uh, for they were doing a great work. They had it on their mind, the objective that, hey, we wanted to come out of South Bend with a victory, and uh, that's what they did. They, they overcame the ad adversity presented before them when they were down by four with less than two minutes left, struggling to move the ball uh, beforehand, and, and that's what we're talking about this morning. No, not the Buckeyes. We're not talking about uh, the Buckeyes uh, this morning. We're talking about pushing through in the face of adversity. This is an important characteristic for a church to have because a church is going. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when a church is going to face adversity. Whether it be inside or outside of the church, adversity will come. And so how are we, how is the church going to respond when adversity hits? And we can take a page out of the Buckeyes playbook by continuing to push forward in the face of adversity. We can also take a page out of Nehemiah's playbook when it comes to overcoming adversity. I'm sure most of you Buckeye fans already saw the game last night, so we don't need to dissect that uh, episode of them overcoming adversity. Instead, We'll dissect Nehemiah's playbook of overcoming adversity. Sound good? Marvelous. Sounds great. So uh, Nehemiah is one of the heroes of our faith. He has his own book in the Old Testament. Originally, the book of Nehemiah was united with the book of Ezra in the Hebrew text, the text that it was originally written in, but was treated as a separate book when the scriptures were translated into Latin. Uh, that translation is known as the Vulgate. This was around 480, so about 400 years after uh, Jesus, the, the, the death of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus and his resurrection there were a group of scholars who translated the scriptures into the Latin language as there were a lot of Latin speakers during that day and age. And that's when we see uh, Nehemiah become its own book. Now, the, the events of the book of Nehemiah take place around 450 B.C., before Christ. To give some sort of context, David, if you remember, David, Saul, David, and Solomon, the three united kings, uh, or the three kings of the united nation of Israel, they were all king around 1000 B.C., Eventually, the kingdom split in two, the ten northern tribes of Israel, the two southern tribes of Judah. And in the year 586 B.C., the, the, southern, uh, the two southern tribes of Judah, they fell to the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonians. The events found in Nehemiah are some of the last events recorded in the Old Testament before the birth of Jesus. It's interesting because there's about a 400-year gap we don't have anything that's recorded in the scriptures. Nehemiah, some of the last events recorded in the scriptures. And then after that, we don't really see of, of, of anything recorded in the, the authoritative scriptures until we get to the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. And so 
Nehemiah all about the uh, events after the, the nation of Judah was taken into exile, into the Chaldean Empire by the Babylonians, and before long, the Persian Empire under the rule of King Cyrus is a bit of history for you guys. Some of you guys may be familiar with King Cyrus. He conquered the Chaldean Empire, and King Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Judah. And so here we have the, the, these Israelites, these Jews who lived in Israel their whole life, and then they were forced to, to move out of the, the, their land. They were forced as exiles. And now we have a new generation of people born and raised in a separate era, but now they are able to come back into the land of Judah. And that's what Nehemiah is all about. Nehemiah is about the third group of people, the third group of Jews who returned to the land of Judah. Zerubbabel led a group, the governor Zerubbabel led a group of people back to Judah, then Ezra led the second group, and then Nehemiah led the third migration back to Judah. Before Nehemiah left to go to Judah to lead the Jews back to the promised land, back to the land of Judah, he lived in Susa, the citadel. It was a city in the Persian Empire. And while in Susa, Nehemiah heard a report from a brother of his about Jerusalem and how the people were struggling and the walls were still to be refinished. And when Nehemiah heard this report, he was the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. The cupbearer would taste any of the king's drinks before he would drink to make sure that it wasn't poison. And so the cupbearer was the front line of defense for the king. According to Charles Swindle, ancient historians believe that a cupbearer, like no other than the king's wife, was in a position to influence the monarch. For the, for the king would, would trust literally his life with the cupbearer. And, and so the, the cupbearer wasn't just like any ordinary servant to the king. It wasn't just like a chef or someone who cleans the, the, his palace or whatever. This was someone that the king trusted with his life. And, and so there would be a connection between the cupbearer and the king themselves. And according to Charles Swindle, uh, the, these cupbearers, they had an influence over the kings that they served because of this unique relationship that they had where the king trusted these cupbearers with their lives. It's an interesting detail that Nehemiah lived in Susa and served the king as a cupbearer. It's interesting because there is another character of the Bible who lived in Susa. Does anybody else know the other Bible character who lived in Susa? Blurt it out if you do. Esther. Uh, yeah, Queen Esther uh, was someone who lived in the, the city of Susa. If you were to go to your Bibles and you open up, you'll see Ezra, then Nehemiah, and then Esther. So Esther is found after the book of Nehemiah in our Bible, but it's believed that the events of Esther took place a bit before Nehemiah. And there's a lot of interesting speculation about Esther and Nehemiah. Uh, during my studies this past week, getting ready for the Sunday, I found an article written by Gail Wallace, uh, written on the Junia Project called The Queen and the Cupbearer, Connections Between Esther and Nehemiah. And she speculates that Esther was married to the father of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was the king who allowed Nehemiah to go back to the land of Judah, or to go to the land of Judah in the first place. And Esther was married to the Persian king Xerxes. And so some believe that Xerxes was the father of Artaxerxes. And so that, that, that unique connection there, it's, it's possible that Esther was, was maybe not the mother, but, but was married to the father 
of the king who allowed Nehemiah to go to the land of Judah. We won't read it, but in Nehemiah 2.6, it details the queen sitting next to King Artaxerxes when Nehemiah asked the king if he can go to Judah. Uh, Yaakov Cohen of the Huffington Post speculates that that might be Queen Esther herself. It's possible Xerxes could just be a shortened form of Artaxerxes. So regardless of if Esther married the father of King Artaxerxes or she was the queen to Artaxerxes himself, there's a good chance Nehemiah was a Jew in the city of Susa when Esther saved all of the Jews. If we remember from the story of Esther, Esther living in the city and this other guy, Haman, had a plot to kill all the Jews. But Queen Esther, she saved all of the Jews. And so there's a good chance that Nehemiah was one of those Jews that Esther saved. That that is so cool to me to, to see this connection. We probably only have Nehemiah's story today because of Esther's story. And Esther, through the hand of God, saving, uh, or rather God, through the hand of Esther, saving the Jewish people in this land. And so an interesting connection there between Nehemiah, the guy we're talking about this morning, and Esther, who, who lived in the same city that Nehemiah did. And so King Artaxerxes, he allowed Nehemiah to go to Judah to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down uh, from over 100 years ago when King Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered the city. Uh, Much of the city would have been left in ruins as the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem in different ways. The reconstruction of the city began. Before the walls were rebuilt, they rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah worked alongside Ezra, who was a scribe, who was instrumental in helping lead the people from this land, the Chaldean land, the Babylonian land, over to Judah. And Ezra was a scribe. When it came time for us, Jamie and I, to name our baby boy, Jamie really liked the name Ezra. I really liked it as well. One key reason was because Ezra in the Bible was a scholar who shared the scriptures with those around him. He was very instrumental in sharing God's word with this group of people that Nehemiah interacted with. And I wanted the same for my baby boy, to be a great scholar of the word and to help share God's word with those around them. If you read the minor prophet Malachi, uh, he's also ministering uh, at the same time, dealing with the same sort of people. And so here we have Nehemiah, and he goes from Susa the citadel, the, the city, and he goes over to Jerusalem, and he begins working on rebuilding the walls under his leadership. He had a group of people with him that, that would work on rebuilding these walls. And it did not take long for adversity to present itself to, me, to Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the wall. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of, you guessed it, Nehemiah. And we'll be uh, starting in chapter 4. I pretty much summed up what took place in the first three chapters there. Nehemiah heard of this report that the people in Jerusalem were struggling. And so essentially, Nehemiah went to go over to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls um, of Jerusalem as it's been pillaged for over 100 years now when King Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered the land. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4, when they are beginning to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem, adversity comes in the form of Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, two regional leaders around the land of Judah. 
So Nehemiah chapter four, verse one reads, now when Sinbalat heard that, they w- that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so here Nehemiah uh, writes, Hear, O, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So he built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And so here we see the surrounding forces, these surrounding leaders to the city of Jerusalem. They, they see that ne- under the leadership of Nehemiah, they're beginning to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And these people, they, they are not happy with this. They, they were, it, it talks about, uh, according to Nehemiah, they were, they were angry and they were greatly enraged and they jeered at the Jews for they want to stop the rebuilding of this wall. They, they didn't want Jerusalem to be a strong city again. And so Nehemiah hears uh, of these taunts, these jeerings, this anger that these people have for Nehemiah for, for seeking to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah essentially tells God, God, whatever uh, they want from me, uh, turn it back on their own heads. So how did they respond? Well, verse six, we see, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So when Nehemiah and the Jews, when they were presented with adversity from Sanballat and Tobiah and these other leaders, these other people opposing their work, they threw their towel in, they, they raised their white flag saying, hey, we give up, you're right, we're not going to build this wall. No, <laughs> it says verse six, without skipping a beat, so we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And so Nehemiah, he rallied this people and this people had set this objective to rebuild this wall. And and they were successful. They they were able to to build the full wall around the city of Jerusalem uh, to half of its height. So so it's not to the full height yet, but but it's fully enclosed by a wall that, that is half its height. Verse seven, but when Sinbal and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And so at first we see uh, just the, these other uh, foreign leaders. At first we just see them really angry. They're enraged. They're jeering at the Jews saying, bro, if a fox comes up on this wall, climbs up on this wall, the, the wall is going to crumble. What are you guys doing? And so at first it's really just verbal uh, assaults to, the, the, to Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the wall. But then we see Nehemiah and the Jews, they rebuild the wall up to half its height. And these adversaries, these opponents, they take it a step further. Well, at first they they were just insulting the Jews. They they were just stabbing them with their words. But now they're they're, they're devising a plan and they have a plan to go and attack Nehemiah and the Israelites for, for trying to rebuild this wall. 
And so eventually, uh, if we were to continue reading the story, we're, we're going to fast forward to chapter 6 here in, in a minute. But we see that somehow, some way, Nehemiah hears word of this report that all of these bad guys, they, they unite against uh, Nehemiah and the Jews. And they had this plan to go and attack Nehemiah and the Jews. And so Nehemiah hears of this, and he sets up a guard, a guard that's going to protect the people both day and night. And so Nehemiah took all of his working men. He divided them in half. He said, you half over here, your sole responsibility is you are going to protect the wall. You're going to protect the city. And the other half of you, you're going to work on the, the, the rebuilding of the temple. You're, you're going to work with your hands and your feet to, to rebuild this temple. But for this half over here, that's working on the wall. You're going to need a weapon strapped to your side or weapon in your hand as well because we don't know when they are going to come attack because we have made enemies. These people do not want us to rebuild the walls. And so it doesn't detail exactly, but I'm sure progress on the wall would have slowed tremendously as they took all their working men and they split them in half and half of them aren't even working on the wall anymore. And the other half who are working on it Half their mind is consumed with, hey, if an enemy is coming, I need to have my weapon in my hand ready or my weapon strapped by my side. So how is Nehemiah going to respond to, to this act of uh, adversity? Well, we, we see that he left his home and all that he knew to rebuild these walls. They got off to a good start. They were able to join all the wall together at half its height. But now that the enemies of Judah are threatening to be violent, and now we'll throw in the towel, we'll raise our white flag and say, all right, guys, you win. We give up. We're not rebuilding uh, the wall. Wait, that's actually not how the story goes. Uh, again, he responds by setting up this guard and, and, and encouraging and being the leader to, to continue this reconstruction of the wall. To the point where we see in chapter 6, we see that the adversity still does not stop. In chapter 6, verse 1 we read, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecaphorum in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these, re these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands." And so here, as, as the, these enemies see the work is continuing on the walls, these enemies, they send a messenger over to Nehemiah saying, hey, Nehemiah, we, we, we have to meet, man. Can, can we meet somewhere and, and talk about this so we can resolve some of these issues that we have at hand? And Nehemiah's response to this messenger, he said, I am doing 
a great work, and I cannot come down. And so they go back. They, they probably tell their guys, uh, Nehemiah said he can't come down for he's doing a great work. And so these guys are saying, go, go back to Nehemiah and tell him that, hey, we have to meet, man. You got to stop this work temporarily. We got, we got to solve our issues. So they send another messenger the second time. He says, Nehemiah, you, you got to meet with my leaders over here. We, we got to settle this issue. Nehemiah's response, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. So the messenger goes back, tells his people, his people say, all right, uh, try, try, try another time. Try, try to tell Nehemiah that, hey, we got to meet. So they go back to Nehemiah, Nehemiah's response, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He goes back to his people. And for a fourth time, his leaders send him back to Nehemiah saying, hey, Nehemiah, we got to meet. And the fourth time, Nehemiah responds, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And so the enemy tried to get Nehemiah to stop this work, even just temporarily to, to try and, and meet with him. These enemies, they had uh, harmful intentions when they were seeking to meet with Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, not willing to stop for a bit, for he was doing a great work. He was doing the Lord's work, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the God's chosen city. All five times Nehemiah overcame the adversity presented his way. And the adversity didn't stop there. And the, the, the fifth time we see that Sanballat uh, delivers this message to Nehemiah, talk about Nehemiah's intention uh, of taking over this place, being the king, being the governor. And these were all lies. These were all lies. Nehemiah did not have these intentions. He was facing adversity with, with verbal assaults. He was facing adversity uh, with, with threats that they were going to come attack him. The facing adversity by the, the people trying to encourage him to leave. Facing adversity that people were, were straight up making lies about him. You know, sometimes when, when you're going through a, a situation, you're, you're going through adversity and you may be buttonheads, sometimes nothing can tick you off more than when people are lying about you and, and telling others that, hey, this dude, he doesn't have good intentions. He's just seeking to do harm. He's seeking to gain control. But yet, Nehemiah did not cave in, for he had a great work and he could not come down from it. Why should the work stop while he leaves and comes down to him? And so all this time, we have all of this adversity that Nehemiah is facing from outside sources. And unfortunately, it doesn't stay on the outside. In verse 10, we see, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And so here, Nehemiah, within the city of Jerusalem, the, the, the temple's been rebuilt. And someone is telling to Nehemiah, come here, come into the temple, for people are trying to kill you, man. And Nehemiah's like, I, I can't stop this good work. Who would I be? If I ran from this threat now, all this time I've overcome this adversity, I'm not going to be a coward now and cave into this outside pressure. And then in verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sinbalat had hired him. 
For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sinbal, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And so Nehemiah gets this revelation that this, that this uh, man coming to, to tell him that, hey, they're, they're coming to kill you, come into the temple. Nehemiah has this revelation. This man is not sent from God. That This is not a messenger of God seeking to protect Nehemiah. Instead, this is a messenger from the enemies trying to get Nehemiah to stop. And so now the enemies of Nehemiah are influencing the people within the walls. And so now Nehemiah is facing adversity within the walls of Jerusalem, the exact wall that he is trying to rebuild. So how does he respond? Well, he throws in the white towel, or he throws in the towel, waves the, the white flag, says, hey, I give up. You're right, I'm, I'm going to quit building this wall. <laughs> I think by now we all know that is not how the story goes. Instead, we, we get a pretty simple answer as to how Nehemiah responded to this adversity. If you just read the very next verse, it says verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they per- perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And so here, after facing this adversity, even internal adversity, we just get the simple response that the wall was finished. Nehemiah overcame the adversity once again. And all their enemies heard of it, and they all felt greatly in their own esteem, for they understood that this great work that Nehemiah was doing, it was the Lord's work. It was the work of the Lord, the the work that God was supporting through Nehemiah. And that's the story of Nehemiah, a simple man who was a cupbearer to the king over in the Persian Empire. He heard a report about the city of Jerusalem struggling. And so he wanted to go over to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And time and time and time and time and time again, Nehemiah faces adversity to rebuild this wall But time and time and time and time again, Nehemiah overcame that adversity to finish the work that he was tasked to do. And we today, the church in the 21st century, we need to carry forward that same mentality. We are going to face adversity just like Nehemiah faced adversity when he sought to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Sometimes adversity is going to come from outside sources. And sometimes, like in the story of Nehemiah, sometimes it might come from inside sources. That's the nature of doing any work, especially a good work. You are going to face adversity. Adversity can take on many different shapes, forms, and sizes, but I can assure you, you will experience adversity when doing a work, especially the Lord's work. And so how do we overcome this adversity? Well, I would ask, how did Nehemiah overcome this adversity? And it seems pretty simple with with, with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he wasn't distracted from his mission. He said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. 
Nehemiah, he sought help from God. He, he, he prayed to God consistently throughout the, this process of rebuilding the walls. God, help me, God, whatever they want for me, turn it on their own help, on their own heads. And so Nehemiah, he wasn't distracted. He wasn't discouraged. He, he stuck with it. He did the hard work to finish rebuilding the walls. And so if we want to do the Lord's work here at North Hills, if we want to do the Lord's work in our homes, in our families, at our jobs, we have to be willing to get our hands dirty and simply push through the adversity. Keeping our heads down and pushing, 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 and pushing. For we cannot come down from this great work. We cannot come down. I believe we are doing the Lord's work here at North Hills. It's a great work. We're seeking to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. That is certainly a great work. And we can't get distracted from this great work. We can't get pulled away from this great work. We can't get discouraged from this great work. We've been faced with adversity. We will continue to be faced with adversity. And we've got to overcome that adversity. That's the only reasonable choice that we have at hand. And so when adversity comes our way, we need to mirror the response of Nehemiah. And that is, we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the work that you are doing here at North Hills, Father. Father, I pray that you use us as your instruments here on earth. Father, I pray that we can efficiently and effectively grow closer to you, Father, and expand your kingdom. Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that when adversity hits, that we together as a family, we are able to push through and we are able to overcome that adversity like your servant Nehemiah. So God, I just pray that you give us the boldness, the courage, the strength, the perseverance, and the endurance to overcome adversity that comes our way. So God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.